Amen, my people. What what is what is the secret to happiness? Jesus. Yeah, I just I wanted to say it before somebody shouted it out. Yes, uh, Jesus is in, in, a, in it's important to happiness. But uh, I'm gonna go a little bit deeper than that, a little bit more practical than that. Not that I don't think Jesus is significant, and we're gonna talk about Jesus. But what is the secret to happiness? Uh, it's something that I'm super interested in. Something I think it's I think deep down ultimately that's what we all want, right? We all want to be happy. We we all we all we all just at the end of the day we want to be happy. Your answer might be money. We really know that it's not money. It's if we like we all want money, but we know that it, you know it's money doesn't buy happiness. And then you're like, well, I've never seen an unhappy person on a wave runner, right? You're just <laughs> just doesn't happen. It's like, no. But you know that's that's temporary. It's it's that's that's not eternal. That's fame, of course. We know we we see we see famous people all the time. Uh, you know they come out, speak out about their depression. They do things in their lives that that would indicate that they're not happy. Um, some of us, our answer might be, you know, to travel the world, that would make me happy. It's, it really just, answers depend based on your personality, based on who you are. Um, your, your, your answer to that question may change, but I, but I have an answer to what is the key to happiness. Harvard Grant Study, it's a 75-year-long study done by Harvard University. Basically, uh, 75 years ago, they took 268 people, and they, and they said, hey, we're going to watch you through your entire life. And, and it's still going on today, and they took two groups of people. They, the first group, they took sophomores from Harvard. So Harvard, prestigious university, expensive university. You can kind of get an idea of what kind of people are going here. It's typically, uh, you know, smart people, uh, probably from um, wealthier backgrounds who have better access to education. That's the first group. The second group of people is inner-city inner kids from Boston, fifth graders from inner-city Boston, and this is the 30s. So when we they're they're from they're from low-income, minimal uh, minimal maybe no no running water in their homes, um, poor lesser education. They come from poor families, and they took they took these two groups and they followed them throughout their entire life for 75 years. Some of them have passed away since. Some of them are still alive, and they continue. They continue to check in and follow up. And every two years, they would check in with these people. They wouldn't just send them like a questionnaire, but they would meet with them. They would examine their medical records. They would interview their family. They would record conversations between spouses, and they would listen to it, and they would analyze it. They, they would, it, it was pretty in-depth. And the interesting thing is they weren't really looking any, for anything. They didn't say 75 years ago, we want to see what creates happy people. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. They just, took, they just began this test because they wanted to study the, the sociology of how, of how people grow up. And the interesting thing is there started to be some links to happiness. That people, people who had this one common denominator would rate themselves as more happy than people who didn't have this common denominator. And we've got all kinds of people. We've got doctors and lawyers and blue-collar workers, and we've even got one president, 35th President John F. Kennedy, was, was a part of the Harvard sophomore class that was in the study. So you've got a wide range of people. You've got a wide range um, of, of backgrounds, but all of them, they, 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 look, they look at the results about 20 years ago, and they said, oh, there's this one common denominator that it links happiness to all of these people. It wasn't money, it wasn't educational background, it wasn't religion, it was relationships. 
the quality of their relationships with people. People who would say that they are more satisfied with their relationships turned out to be overall happier. And, and it's, it's, it's amazing because they weren't looking for that, but that's, but that's, what, they came, that's what they came up with. Um, the people who were more socially connected, they had healthier relationships. They turned, about, they turned out to be happier. They turned out to be healthier physically. They turned out to live longer statistically. So literally, live, living in isolation is not healthy for, you, for your body, for your soul, for your emotions. We know that. You know, the word says it's not good for man to be alone. We know that. You know, it's a 75-year study that the Bible's been telling us for 2,000 years. We already know. Uh, but, you know, it's good, to, it's good to have a little bit of, a little bit of you know, confirmation, especially for someone like me. I, I, like to, I like to analyze the facts of the situation. Um, but it's not just isolation. It's also high-conflict, high unhealthy relationships. They have negative impacts on your, on your health, on your happiness. People who would say, you know, they, they're stuck in a marriage and they hate it, they of course, are not as happy as uh, someone who, who doesn't, doesn't hate it. But ultimately, the idea, um, the results show that people who had healthier relationships when they were 50 are happy, healthier, and have lived longer, uh, longer once they reach age 80. It's not that those relationships are absent any sort of conflict. We all have conflict. We all argue or fight or whatever your church-appropriate language is for your disagreements. We all, we all have it. And so it's not that that, that, was, that was absent, but it's that, that those people who were happier had an established covenant in their heart that when the crap hits the fan, I know that I have relationships that I can lean back on. That it, that's what, at least in this circle, that's what we call covenant relationship. And so if, you're, if you were to ask me in passing, what is the Lord teaching you right now? I would say the Lord is teaching me how to do relationships with people. That, that's, what, that's what he's teaching me, and so I, I, that was my long introduction to, to what we're going to talk about. It's, it's really just what the Lord's been teaching me on how to do uh, relationships with people. Um, and, and this, allow me to get vulnerable for a second, but this is, this is something that's been really difficult uh, for me for my life. Um, I've always struggled establishing intimate connection with both men and women for different reasons. Um, I grew up, uh, I grew up in a toxic, a toxic, toxic home. I'm getting like nervous. I don't use it now because it's about to get vulnerable and I'm getting nervous. I grew up in a toxic, toxic home that, um, that it never really allowed me to be vulnerable. Anytime you get vulnerable or talk about how you're feeling or express your heart, it always results in pain. And so, you know, even as seven, eight, nine-year-old, you say, okay, when I do this, it hurts. I'm not going to do this anymore. And so you start to adapt that lifestyle. And then, you know, you fast forward 10 years, and then, and then it turns into, I've got all these friends, but no real depth. And so I'm surrounded by people, yet my heart feels lonely. And that's kind of, that's kind of where, where I'm at. I grew, up, um, I grew up in a house that was just me and my mom. Uh, my mom... Um, Really, until about a year and a half ago, was was extremely verbally abusive, uh, manipulative, aggressive, um, 
it, it wasn't it wasn't a healthy healthy situation when I think about you know my seven or eight year old self it makes me sad it makes me sad that you know that, that there was a little kid you know you almost disassociate yourself with it there was a little kid who had to go through that that, that makes me sad it's almost like you try and break it away from who you are and so that that made it really difficult for me five years ten years later to establish healthy relationships with women because I've never really known what healthy feminine affection was. The, 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 the foundation of my relationship with, with women was, was foundation, you know, my mom was toxic. And, and so that, that built an unhealthy foundation for both friendship and romantic relationship that it was tough to navigate into in my later teens and, and now into my early 20s. And so that, that's the, the, the woman element. And... Um, when I was seven years old, I, I, had a, I had a friend who was, a friend who was older than me. Um, and when you're, when you're a kid, you just you want to be included. You're, and especially when it's with the older kids, you like to be included. Um, older, older people, and, and he included me, and he eventually, um, eventually introduced me, uh, sh- sh- you know, showed me drugs. He eventually, uh, you know, I'm seven or eight years old, introduced me to uh, pornography, and then eventually... Uh, sexually molested me uh, on an ongoing basis for about a year. And it's, when you're seven, when you're eight, you don't really know about it. You don't really know what's going on. Um, you know, you're just, you're just friends with, with the cool kids. And then, um, you know, you get older, all of a sudden it starts to make sense. You start to realize what happened, and then that starts to take effect on the way that I communicate with men, the way that I establish intimacy with men. It, it puts a, a gap there that, you know, that, that it's, it's weird. It's weird. It was, it really tainted the way that I viewed intimacy um, with men, which make it, made it extremely difficult to establish relationships beyond a surface level. Um, and I, and I sh- share that because, you know, that created this guy named Brett, um, who was afraid to let everyone in. And so one day, I, you know, about a year and a half ago, I got to the point where I said, I'm, I'm tired of being surrounded by people and feeling alone. And so I'm going to learn how to do relationships. And so what I'm going to share tonight is kind of been the journey walking out of that, walking out of the pain, walking out of the fear. Um, you know, my, my tips from the relationship. And for you, uh, you know, I'm going to use the Bible. Don't worry. I, lo- I love the word. I love to study the word. And um, so if you're like, is he going to use the word or is he just going to talk from um, his experiences? I'm going to do both because both are equally powerful. Um, my, my testimony is, is my, my testimony. Um, so my first thing is growing up as you transition from, um, from you know, teenager or into your young adult stage, uh, a, lot of, a lot of who we are in those moments we don't have control over. Um, a lot of it is we're subject to the environment that we grew up in. You know, the home, sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. You don't have a lot of control. You're really, a lot, a lot of the way that our psychology works is, is we're influenced by the environment that's around us. So if we come from a healthy environment, then genuinely we're healthy people. If we come from a toxic environment, then ten, t- uh, typically we are toxic people. I came from a toxic environment. Um, you know, I, as you just heard, my, my environment wasn't that great. And so as I transitioned into young adulthood, my, my heart was pretty um, broken. But I'm not that kid anymore, right? I'm not subject. I don't live with my mom anymore. 
I'm not an, a seven-year-old boy who can't defend himself anymore. I'm not subject to that environment to mo- anymore. So I remove myself from that environment, and I put myself in a new environment with new people and new friends. And I will say that, that my mom, my relationship with my mom, uh, there's been a lot of freedom in the last, in the last year and a half, and I, and I love my mom very much, and I, and I will say that, um, and, and you know, that's a testimony for another time, but I wanted to insert that in now. But, but my first point, if you're a note taker, is choose your friends. Choose your friends. Don't let it happen on accident. A lot of our friends, we make, we make friendships based on association. I went to school with you. We were in the same class. You're kind of cute, so you're going to be my friend. That's, that's a lot. That's, that's how, or, or we go to work together. You're my coworker, so you're my friend. Maybe we even go to church together. Um, so by association, you're my friend. But those deep, those deep-rooted, those deep connections, they have to be friends that you've chosen on purpose. Proverbs 20, here it is, Proverbs Holler. Proverbs 22, verse 24. Do not associate with men given to anger or with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and you will snare yourself. We are influenced by our environment. Our friends, have, who we choose as friends, has an effect on us. If we are friends with people who are hot-tempered, eventually that's going to snare us. That's, that's, the, that's what the, the proverb is, is telling us. And so we, we learn by the association with others. We learn um, who we associate ourselves with is going to determine the level of character and truth that we're able to walk in. And, and it's not that we're, we're picking our friends like, I'm above you, you know, i got to stand up here so I'm taller. I'm above you, you're down. It's not, it's not like you're elevating yourself. It's, it's humility. You're just saying, hey, you've got some stuff in your life that I don't want to be a part of. And that's okay. That's okay to say that because it's not that we're rejecting them. It's not that I'm not going to interact with them. It's saying when, I, when push comes to shove and I'm looking for the person who's closest to my heart, it's not going to be you. And that's okay to say that. Proverbs 12, 26, it says, The righteous choose their friends carefully. The righteous choose their friends carefully. Choose your friends wisely. Choose who you date wisely. Right? You're not going to date them to Jesus. It's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. What you see now is what you should expect forever. Right? We should never start a relationship out of hopes of what they or who they will eventually become. It's who they are today and you should expect that forever. See, I used to, I used to think that I was God's, God's missionary gift to the women of the world. I used to believe it. You know, PhD in missionary dating. But, and so as a result, that results in pursuing women who are not really compatible, but they're kind of cute and they're kind of sweet. And so you're like, oh, we'll work out the God thing a little bit later down the road. I'll get her to come to church with me. It'll work out. It'll be fine. No, it doesn't work like that. Choose wisely. It might work. Um, but, but starting a relationship based on those conditions, that foundation, you're already starting off unhealthy. Just because he went to church four Easter's to go doesn't mean that he's got the character to steward your heart in the ways of the Lord. Guys, just because she looks like Eve in the Garden of Eden doesn't mean that's a garden you want to get lost in, right? Right? <laughs> it, ha- it happens all the time. My brothers, my sister, and it. We start, we start a relationship with, 
with someone um, that, you know, in hopes that there'll be uh, something else. And then I'm sitting here like, what are you doing? You are, you are way out of their league, like not even close. Let me make it spiritual for you. <laughs> Second Corinthians. Do not yoke yourself with unbelievers. Do not yoke yourself. The yoke, what a yoke is, it's, talk, it's, it's a reference um, to livestock. A yoke is a, something that you put on the shoulders of animals that, that harnesses their neck together. And the idea is that when they're pulling together, they can pull more weight than if they're pulling by themselves. And so by yoking yourself with someone, you're, you're attaching yourself to them, attaching yourself to an unbeliever. The Bible says don't do that. Why? Well... Uh, it's really interesting that when somebody's not pulling their fair share of the weight, it's not only not as efficient as it could be, but it's actually less productive than if you were doing it by yourself. Because now you're not only pulling what's behind you, but you're pulling this deadbeat donkey who's not keeping his weight as well. And I will say, I will say that that just because they're Christian doesn't mean they're equally yoked, okay? Just because they're Christian doesn't mean that they're, that they're equally yoked, that, that, that that's someone that you should uh, be spending your relationship with. Just because you became Christians at the same time doesn't mean that you've, you've grown in the same way, that they have the same emotional and relational maturity, that, that, that that's someone that you should end up with. Does that make sense? I only know that because that was me for a long time. And then, you know, all the, everything that I just said, somebody said to me, and then now it's starting to make sense. And so I feel like I can stand up and, like, talk down to you now because I'm <laughs> sort of figuring it out. I'm just kidding. I'm not talking down to you. You know those people who always need to be in a relationship? Like you go from relationship to relationship to relationship some of us used to be that person. Some of us are that person right now. Um, the desire, it's not a bad desire. You don't want to be alone. That's biblical. That's, that's the longing of our heart. We don't want to feel alone. We don't want to feel isolated. What's, what's the lie there is you're, you're trying to solve it in the wrong way, right? The lies that we believe that in those situations, that the only way we can get out of that feeling of isolation in our hearts is if we date somebody else or date somebody else. But in reality, if we had real friendships, if we had real relationships in our lives, we wouldn't feel the need. We wouldn't feel empty. We wouldn't feel like we needed more love or affection or community or intimacy because we're getting that from our own people in our own community, in our, in our friendships of the people who are around us. So that's just another way that friendships spill over into the other areas of your lives. It's, it's extremely, extremely important. So much, so much of our relationships tend to be driven um, by by association, but if mere association is what's keeping your friendship together, then once you, once you take away that element that, you know, we're no longer in the same class. I got a new job. I moved away. Once you take that away, the friendship disappears, and that's not a covenant relationship. Choosing your friends becomes really important, especially during the tough times. Joshua, Moses and Joshua. Joshua, Joshua made an 11-day walking trip turned into 40 years lost in the wilderness because he decided to be friends with Moses. It affects 
That's, that's a big deal. 11-day walking trip into 40 years lost in the wilderness. You got to think that at some point Joshua's like, come on, bro. Like, we're following you, and you got us lost. And we're not talking like a little. It's been 40 years. We are lost for 40 years. It's in that moment you're going to start to question the authenticity of your friendship. But if you, but if you can stand up and say, no. I chose you for a reason. I chose you. We have a covenant relationship that's not going to break. It's important to choose your friends. David chose Jonathan, right? Ruth chose Naomi. Elijah chose Elisha. Paul chose Timothy. Jesus chose his disciples. It's important to choose your friends on purpose. Point number two for you note takers. Risk big. This is the challenging one for me. Risk your heart. Don't let your fear of rejection hinder your commitment to relationship. We have a lot of legitimate reasons to be afraid of connection. I, I shared some of mine, you know, some of my difficulties with intimacy and with vulnerability. But don't let any past wounds prohibit you from future glory. Some people are going to reject us. That's the way that it is. That's life. But some people aren't. Some people aren't going to reject us. There's, there's nothing more beautiful than having an established relationship where I have poured my heart, my messy heart, out on the table, and I've, and I've shared everything that I am, and I put it out there, and I don't know how somebody's going to respond, and they go, yes, please, right? I, you're not going to scare me away. I am committed to There's nothing more beautiful than that because then you, you know that you can rely on that. It's not all pretty. It's not, it's not all put together. But I know that they're committed to me. I know that Shaddy is committed to me. I know. Because we have, we have a covenant relationship. We've been through enough that I know that if I have a bad day, it's not going to affect our relationship because I've spent enough time with Shaddy that he knows the core of my heart. He knows who I authentically am. I've been transparent enough. I've risked enough in intimacy and vulnerability and transparency. I've risked enough that he's seen it. So he knows when I'm off or when I have a bad day, it's not going to affect our relationship because our relationship is built based on more than how I perform in front of him. Right? And if we get in an argument, and I win, because I always win, because I'm always right. <laughs> if we get in an argument, it's not going to affect our relationship. We can, we, we will work that out. We'll work that out. Uh, we'll, we'll take that one offline. Um, it's not going to affect our relationship because we have an established covenant. We have, I don't, I don't need to impress him. He's already super impressed by me. I don't need to, imp I don't need to impress him anymore. <laughs> I don't need him to like me today. I don't need to perform well. I can come to him however, however I am, and we are committed to each other. And there's a few others of you in the room who, who hold that place in my heart. But I, I share that because it's a beautiful thing because I don't have to perform anymore. I don't have to perform. I'm getting the friendship. I'm getting the affection. I'm getting the intimacy that I want, that I need. And it's because I am who I am. It's not for any, re any other reason. But the only way to get that sort of friendship, that level of friendship, is to risk your heart on the table. I know, I know what it's like to get your heart beaten, right? I've been there. 
I know, I know what it's like to have trust broken. I know what it's like to have boundaries crossed, to be manipulated, to experience pain. I know what it's like to say, I'm never going to let that happen again. I've been there. But as someone who's been there and knows the pain, who used to be over here and is now standing over here, I'm just saying, risk it. It's worth it. Because once you, once you get, once you get an established relationship, that, that, you know, a covenant relationship that's not going to break, it, it gives you a lot of freedom in, all, in a bunch of other areas of your life so because you always know that you have something that you can come back on, that somebody is out there saying, yes, please, right? Now, don't do it all right away, okay? It's not like, hey, I'm Brett. Let me tell you what I'm insecure about. That's a little overwhelming, um, you're probably going to scare somebody away if you do that. That's, that's a little over the top. Um, but you, when you establish a friendship, you're going to have to take leaps. You're going to have to expose yourself. You're going to have to share your heart. There's going to be that moment where you're like, I'm not sure if I want to talk about this, but I'm going to do it. Don't let your fear of friendship hinder your commitment to it. Um, Jesus knew something super interesting. Jesus, Peter denied Jesus three times, right? After, if you're, if you're familiar with the story, you know what I'm talking about. Judas is the guy who, who betrayed um, Peter, or betrayed Jesus. Judas was the guy who betrayed Jesus. The interesting thing is when, when Jesus washes, if you read in John, when Jesus goes up and he washes his 12 disciples' feet, he already knew both of those things. He knew that, that, Jesus, that Peter was going to betray him. He knew that, that Ju- or Peter was going to deny him. He knew that Judas was going to betray them, yet he bent down and he served them. He washed their feet. He knew what was going to happen. When Judas came on the night um, when Jesus was betrayed, when he came and he came up to Jesus and he kissed him on the cheek, Jesus' response, response was friend do what you came here to do he still acknowledged him as his friend as his companion Jesus's dedication to covenant relationship is amazing even in the midst of the most the most heinous portrayal uh, you you can you can imagine Jesus was still committed to friendship it's amazing number three be a great friend be a great friend to have covenant relationships, you need to be a great friend. People who are great friends have great friends. If you don't have great friends, it might be because you're not a great friend. I know that doesn't sound very encouraging, but the good news is we can change that, right? But if you're sitting here and if you're sitting here and you're like, I just don't have those kind of relationships, well, look at what kind of, what, what kind of friend you are to other people. That's, that's because, and, and this is going to sound cold and it's going to sound jaded, um, but just think about it for, with me for a second. Relationships exist because we give something to each other. That is why they exist. People love you because they get something from you. It's almost never materialistic. It's not money. It's not stuff. It's not anything physical. It's, it's companionship. It's intimacy. It's encouragement. Every time I am with Shaddy, he encourages me. He challenges me. That is what he brings to the table in our relationship, and that is why I love that about him. It's because it, that's what relationships are is you bring something to the table. And if you're not bringing in anything into the table, then you shouldn't be surprised why you don't have any relationships. 
What, should, what do we bring to the table? What does a good friend bring to the table? You have to be available in the, in the good times and in the bad times. It's really easy to have fun, to party, to... That's fun. But, but sometimes it's not, it's, not, it's not all butterflies and rainbows, right? Sometimes there's rough times and you got to show up. You got to show. My, my roommate was, was sick a couple weeks ago. It was 1030 at night and we were showing up to the emergency room. And I don't know if you've ever been to the emergency room, but they don't treat nothing like an emergency there. <laughs> right? That, would, that is what I call a bad time. Showing up in a bad time. You got to be available in the good times and in the bad times. You got to tell your friends the truth. You got to tell your friends the truth. Not telling them the truth about a situation is the same as contributing to the lie that they're already believing. You got to tell them the truth. Proverbs 27.6. I think this is, a, this is a fear of ours. We don't, sometimes we're hesitant to say things because we don't want to hurt people. We don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't, we, we don't want our, the status of our relationship to change. But it says that wounds from, wounds from a, a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than the kisses of, excuse me, of, of the enemy. Just because you didn't say yes doesn't mean you let them know that you disagreed, right? Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm just not going to say anything. I'm going to stay away from that. No, you, if, if you need to say something, you need to say something. That is the quality. That is the trait of a good friend. Not saying something is contributing to, to the mess that they're walking in. That is authentic friendship. Proverbs 27.5. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. I, I read this verse last night, and I was like, wow, I'm not going to tell you who it was, Eric Waterbury, but I'm, I, was, I was like, this is your life verse. Better is open rebuke than love is concealed, and I only say that tongue-in-cheek because I've been uh, rebuked a couple times by uh, Eric Waterbury, but sometimes telling the truth hurts. Sometimes it hurts. Uh, some, sometimes we, we have a fear that it's going to uh, that it's going to sacrifice the status of the relationship. That if I say this, that it's going to it's going to offset our relationship and it's going to it's going to hurt things. But it's our duty to boldly tell the truth. And if they don't have the maturity to receive it and know the status of our relationship, that's not on us. Right. We got to tell, but we got to tell the truth. Allowing someone to go in a direction that you know is not healthy, but not saying anything because of out of fear of how that's going to affect you. Just listen how that sounds. You're driving off a cliff, but I'm not going to say anything because I don't know how that's going to affect me. Right? You, you, when, you, when you put it in perspective, it's, it's, like it's selfish of us to not say, to not tell people the truth. It may, it may hurt your relationship. It depends on the status and the quality of your relationship, to be frank. An honest answer is the sign of true friendship. That's a proverb. An honest answer is the sign of true friendship. Now, I will say that receiving, receiving critique from a friend, receiving criticism, receiving however teaching, instruction, whatever, again, whatever you know, rests well on your heart, receiving it and agreeing with it aren't always the same thing. Right? I can receive instruction even if sometimes I don't agree with it. Sometimes Eric Waterbury tells me things that I don't agree with. And we talk about it and I let him know that I'm right because, again, I'm always right. 
But we walk away from the conversation knowing that, that, hey, that's an area that we disagree. But our relationship has not changed. See, it's, it, a lot of times we think that the hardest part, the hardest part of the relationship is speaking up and saying something boldly to confront something else. That's not the hardest part. The hardest part is right after that. What happens in the relationship right after that? Whenever we receive crit- criticism, at least me, I want to like back into my little bubble and distance myself from the relationship. But, but the di- most difficult part is how you respond to that. Can I, can, can I ask Shaddy, hey, Shaddy, what do you see in my life, which we do on, thing, on, on occasion, what do you see in my life that I'm not seeing? And, and he says something that makes me feel self-conscious or something that I don't like. How am I going to respond? How am I going to or, or treat our relationship right after that? And it's in those moments that you just have to remind yourself. This, this person is, you, you got to remind yourself of the, of the place that they have in your heart. This person is sharing this with me. If I don't know them, then I may, may not accept it. But if it's someone who's really close to my heart and they're sharing something that hurts but it needs to be said, then, I, then it's my duty to rem- remind myself, hey, they're just doing this because they love me. You, you see it through, whatever it is, you see it through the filter, the lens of love and you don't always have to agree with it. Last thing, and, and we're, we're, we're going to get out of here. Once you've established those kinds of relationships, you have to maintain them. It requires upkeep. Right? It, they, they don't just, they're not just there for life. We have to be intentional about maintaining relationship. We're in an extremely mobile cult- culture. More mobile than anywhere else. See, 2,000 years ago, uh, you, you were born and you died in the same place. And you grew up with the same people and you were in the same community. And those lifelong relationships, they were easy to maintain because you see them every day. Our culture is not like that, right? I could get a new job tomorrow and I'd be gone for, in two weeks. See you later. Off to New York I go. That, that's a possibility. That is the world that we live in. That, that, that is the reality of the situation. But, but you have to be intentional about maintaining those relationships. Sometimes I have to sit down and say, which one of the people that I love have I not talked to this week? Because I need to talk to, you. I need to, talk to them. You have to maintain those relationships. Choose your friends. Risk big. Be a great friend. Maintain the relationship. That's what I got. Mr. Waterbury.